But what we at Roots are asking is like, what does it look like for us to embody worship in all parts of our lives? Specifically, when we gather together, what does worship look like as a community of people who want to look like Jesus? And so throughout the series, we've looked at different ways that we worship together, like rejoicing as a practice of worship. And we've looked at taking the communion together as a practice of worship. We've uh, looked at um, We've looked at learning together and spiritual formation as a practice of worship together. And so when TC invited me to preach um, in this series on worship, I immediately thought of who was the most passionate person that worshiped in the Bible. And I thought of the woman with the alabaster jar. And some of you are maybe familiar with the story. It's a very common story. It's about a woman who, who came to a meeting where Jesus was. And she was so moved, so passionate about the Lord that she began to weep. And she poured this expensive oil on his feet and she worshipped him. And I really thought that as I was prepping to teach a message on worship, that I was going to give you three points and a prayer on extravagant worship and bringing our whole selves and bringing our best to God. But that is not what happened. As I looked closely into this, into this passage, I found that there is a practice of worship that we don't talk about as worship, and it's the practice of radical hospitality. We're going to look closely at this woman's account and look at actually what Jesus calls out in her and ask ourselves, how do we, as a community, when we're here on Sunday morning, practice hospitality? What is hospitality here on a Sunday gathering, in a Sunday gathering of Jesus' people? And so this sermon, you're going to hear me interchange worship and hospitality, and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to give you a definition of radical hospitality, but first I want to show a video that I think really points to the picture, or paints a picture for us of the relationship between God welcoming us and then us welcoming others. So let's take a look at this video. Um, hospitality is salvation. That's probably a pretty radical thing to say, but I think that it is absolutely true, is that um, God welcomes the stranger. We were all made strangers to God in that story that we have in Genesis. Adam and Eve were kicked out. They became strangers to their created identity. God made them to be. They became strangers to one another. They became strangers to the natural world. They became strangers uh, to what was once a harmony. And everything became dissonance. And salvation is God setting a new table and welcoming all back to the table. When we deserve to be far off, God brought us in. Those who were strangers have been made friends. That is it. That is the primary definition of salvation in the Christian New Testament. Hospitality is salvation. God's hospitality to us. We turn around and offer salvation to the world by offering open table and inviting the stranger to come and meet with us. That, the table of God's love, that gives me hope. The idea that um, everything is changing and that we are moving past some of the things that have divided us. It actually gives me hope that there are millions and millions and millions of people in the world who are rejecting Christianity right now because it has been violent and imperialistic. 
there were millions and millions and millions of people in the world who were accepting an imperialistic and violent Christianity. So their rejection shows me that there is at the center of the world a longing for a God of love and a church that practices hospitality and peace and shalom and the real salvation that folks are reaching, reaching for. So atheism gives me hope. Um, I think that some people don't actually learn to sort of what I call turn the prism on some of the cultural stories we have. They allow atheism to depress them or they allow people who are reaching towards new religious op options to depress them. I just see those as a, the heartbeat of God at the center of the universe, where people are asking for something better, more truthful, more authentic, and more Jesus-y than what the church has been offering them for many, Jesus. many, many, too many years. We should embrace their longing rather than say, ah, they just, they don't know the school. I think that that's where the Holy Spirit is often operative in our culture. Those people are asking for more rather than less of the church. Do you really think Drive Bones can walk again or things can be made here? Um, yes. People ask me all the time, do you believe in the resurrection? And I always love to quote a friend of mine who is a, a bishop in the Episcopal Church in the 20th century. He died a few years ago in, in his 90s. And he said, I believe in, in the resurrection. I've seen it too often to not believe it. And um, that's dry bones rising. That's uh, that brilliant vision uh, from the old, the old uh, Testament valley of dry bones. And uh, I think that biblical people, I think that the children of Abraham and Sarah always believe in that. And uh, I'm going to hold on to that one. Uh, and there's uh, not much way of shaking, shaking the loose from, from my my assertion of the resurrection at this point. I've seen it too much to think that it can't happen again. It happens. It happens all around us all the time. Just have to look for it and have the eyes to see it. So today's message is, uh, I titled it, Do You See This Woman? Because we are going to explore what does it look like for us to be people who see who see those in need, who see those who come into our space and practice this kingdom hospitality, the kind of hospitality that we've experienced from Christ. So the definition I want us to work with today is um, radical hospitality is the practice of making space to connect with God and each other so that we can create glimpses of the kingdom of God in our everyday lives. So when we think of hospitality, I want us to make sure that we are not talking about entertaining. So quite often when you hear the word hospitality in a church context, you think, oh, they're talking about the people who sit at the table back there, or the people who bring the snacks, or they're talking about the people who make the really cool um, you know, backdrops when you come in with our sermon series. Yeah. We're thinking about the people who, who create the, the mechanics of, of creating a welcoming space. And I am all for that. I am all for a really great Pinterest board of fun meals and, and decorations. TC and I are talking about throwing a Mardi Gras party. I am legit into the entertaining part of hospitality. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're, that's not the kind of posture or the practice that we're going to cultivate as a community. We're going to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to be people who see that God has welcomed us in as strangers 
And then out of that overflow, welcome strangers into our space. And recognize who those strangers are. Because that's why the local church exists. We don't just exist so that we can have awesome potlucks, because that's my jam and I love a potluck. We don't just exist so that we can come up with really fun sermon series and really cool backdrops. But we exist because there is a world full of people who feel strange, who feel like outsiders, feel like misfits, and they're asking, where's my spiritual home base? So this series about worship has been all about ascribing worth to God and then looking and saying, who is God ascribing worth to and bringing them in? Um, out of our overflow of saying, God, you matter to us, we turn around and say, then who and what matters to you? And so this message is all about looking to see who matters to God. So if you will look at the passage with me, we're going to begin with, uh, this is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who has lived a sinful life in town learned that Jesus was, uh, was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as soon as she stood behind him at his feet, she began weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Join me in prayer. Jesus, as we um, break down this passage, as we look at your interactions with, with Simon, and we look at your interaction with the woman who anointed your feet, and as we think about our own interactions with you, and think about our interactions with people in our lives, Lord, I pray that you give us kingdom eyes to see. I pray, Jesus, that you help us to um, have a vision for what it looks like to love people as you love them. And we ask you, Jesus, that you, um, that you be with me, that the words that come out of my mouth be words that you would want us to hear, words that inspire us to look more like you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I want to one of the first things that I want us to uh, look at is this idea of noticing, okay? Radical hospitality, the kind of hospitality that creates space for God so that we can create space for others, starts with noticing. So this story is about a woman who comes into a space where Jesus is, and because of what she noticed, she began to worship Jesus. 
Now, for a little bit of context, Simon uh, in other in, in, in another another account of uh, this passage because this instance of Jesus being anointed by a woman is found in all four synoptic gospels. In another one, uh, he's actually called Simon the Leper. So, at some point, it, I think it's safe to say that this man had some kind of relationship or some kind of life-changing interaction with Jesus that then encouraged him, that spurred him to want to open up his home and invite people in. Now this is a very common uh, occurrence at this time. Uh, teachers or Pharisees and if people would open up their homes and invite a teacher in and what they would do is they would invite the teacher in and they would have like one main idea or one question that they're asking the teacher to kind of dive deeply in. And so they would open their homes up and let anybody, anybody would be welcomed. So, uh, so this woman was not necessarily invited, but she knew Jesus was going to be there, and so she showed up. And so Simon, you could say, was practicing hospitality in a sense, right? He opened his home up. He invited Jesus in. But this woman comes in, and this woman who is who scripture says lived a sinful life. And, and I want to kind of highlight something because this was really important for me when I read this passage. So many people say, oh, that's Mary Magdalene. Or, or they want to say, oh, she was a prostitute. But scripture never clearly says what her sin is. And this is important for you and me because I think what we have been taught by our culture is to create us and them dichotomies. <laughs> Holy and, and, and sinful. Better, worse. And we can like to figure out where do we fit in that dichotomy? What box do we, what box can we put people in? Find our box and stay in that box and celebrate the people that are in that same box with us. But the fact that scripture is so vague about what exactly is this woman, what this woman's sin, sin was, what her experience was, it says every single one of us can find ourselves, can identify with this woman because all of us are, have experienced sin. All of us are um, affected by the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world. That's important for us because this woman is actually the hero of our story. I mean, of course, Jesus. But this woman teaches us something about how we can live in community with each other. Beginning from a place of recognizing our own brokenness and our own sin and our own need for Jesus, and then entering into a space where we know he's going to be. That's why I love going to yoga, but I, but I can't get the same things that I get at yoga that I get here on Sunday. Because Jesus is not necessarily there. I, I don't know that when I enter into the yoga, uh, studio, I'm going to be able to relax, I'm going to be able to stretch, but when I come here, I know that I'm going to meet people who remind me of who Jesus is and speak the words of Jesus over me. And so this woman enters in and immediately she notices something. Let's look at the part of the passage that, uh, where Jesus describes what this woman did. Jesus uh, describes, as well Tyson's pulling it up, Jesus describes that this woman began weeping. I think the passage, the, the slide is now, it's the very first one, now there is a Pharisee. So this woman comes in, she lived a simple life and she learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind Jesus weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. This woman, imagine, is a woman who everybody in the town knew was a sinner. She enters into the space and she notices the state of Jesus' feet. Going on, Jesus is going to call out to Simon that he didn't give him the things that he needed to feel comfortable around the table. 
It was customary for them to provide wine and oil, and, to, and part of their hospitality was to recognize that they walked in sandals, they walked along streets with animals, and their feet were dirty, and they came, they came into a place of eating together. And so part of hospitality was making sure that that was addressed. But this woman walks in, and she notices that Jesus' feet was covered in dirt and dung, that they were unwelcome and unlovely. And I wonder, as she looked at those feet, did she recognize does she, does she feel a little bit like that herself? And she felt a connection to Jesus. That Jesus was there teaching and among people with feet that was, that was dirty, that was unlovely, and yet he was still there. But she may be welcomed to touch him, to be with him, to be close to him. I think that says a lot about who Jesus is. That Jesus allows himself to be human and allows himself to experience the brokenness of this world so that we can look at him and say, I am human, I feel broken, I can connect with you. And so she worships him because she notices that Jesus, that Jesus is there for her, that Jesus is with her. Okay, so the first thing that is, she notices the state of Jesus' feet, and she is moved. She is moved to wash Jesus' feet. She's moved to worship because she felt a connection with Jesus. When we gather in this space, when we open up this space to each other, when our teams come and they set up the space, they're doing it out of a place of they want to create an opportunity for you to come and know that you are seen, that you're loved, that your brokenness is welcomed here. So radical hospitality invites us to take notice. The next thing that radical hospitality does, it brings us, it moves us from guest to host. Radical hospitality moves us from guest to host. So what I think is so interesting about Jesus' comments to Simon, because Simon is sitting back and watching this, watching this woman who, who everybody looked down on, who was considered a sinner, watch this woman interact and touch with Jesus and worship him and pour oil on his feet and meet his address, his felt needs to honor his very body. So Simon is sitting back and watching this, and in his mind, Simon is saying, oh my gosh, does Jesus even know? And Simon, in his own mind, I imagine, is saying, oh my gosh, like, I, I am so, I've already had my experience with Jesus, I'm much better than her. Does Jesus even recognize who this woman is? But what Jesus says to Simon is not only about, uh, what Jesus says to Simon is not about like the cost of the oil or the extravagance of her worship or the bigness of her offering, which is what I totally thought we were going to talk about today. Jesus leads into her the, the comparing her practice of hospitality, her practice of meeting a felt need that Jesus had with Simon's. So let's go ahead and look at that part of the passage. And I think it begins with Simon. Do you see this woman? Okay, so I'm going to have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Um, in the next one. Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. What Jesus highlights is this woman showing up and meeting the felt need of Jesus. And you and I, when we think about practicing radical hospitality in this place, 
we have a unique opportunity to look at the felt needs of the people who come into our space. Yeah, when I, like I said earlier, this is a space where we get to have spiritual encouragement and spiritual formation. This is also a place where we get to see each other and we get to ask each other how we're doing and we get to enter into the felt needs of each other. When we come into this place, so many of us, I know, come in and, and we are so excited to worship and, and, we, and we sit down and we're prepared for whatever comes, on, comes up here to go out. But radical hospitality, hospitality looks like I've experienced Christ, so I want to turn around and, and pr provide that for somebody else, moves us from guests to hosts. Now check this out. This woman was like not even a guest. Like she was not even personally invited in this space. She was probably like a D-list guest probably. She just showed up in this space because Jesus was there. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus turns around and says, this woman who was not even invited moved from guest to host. She took on the work of the host in this space because she recognized that there was a need in this place and she gave whatever she had. Radical hospitality inspires us to come into a space with others and say, what do I have to offer this person so that they know that they are seen, they are loved, and they are not alone? That is what it means for us to gather together as kingdom people and practice hospitality on a Sunday morning that is unlike the very best Mardi Gras party you could ever throw. <laughs> because we come here with the mission of restoring the Imago Day and the people we interact with every single Sunday. When I was um, thinking about this part of the passage, I was thinking a lot about when I went home to my mom's to, to, for my mom's funeral. Uh, she passed a few weeks ago. And when I went uh, home, I, I knew I'm the oldest and I'm a pastor. And so I knew that my family would turn and look to me and, and ask me to just get so many things figured out. Like I'm the oldest and they would just put so many of the logistics on me, which I'm fine to do because I'm one of these people that's like, give me something to do because I feel all these feelings and I just work them out through my, through my works. I just work them out through my activity. So I got, I got to my parents' house and I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was doing all the work of kind of planning the service and, and I felt so clearly that, um, my, that I could do the service in one of two ways. I could create a service where you know, we just all get up and we talk about how much we loved mama and um, we had a space where uh, you know, just people could come around us and hug us and that would be it. And that would have been fine. That would have been okay. But I felt like my mama wanted more. And I felt like I wanted to create an opportunity for the people who loved my life, my mom, in her everyday life, to be welcomed in and to be cared for. And so you would say that, yeah, me as the daughter of the daughter and my mom passed, that really I'm there to be cared for and loved on. But I felt like my mama mattered to me so much that I wanted the people in her life to know that they mattered to her. And so I crafted the service where we had time of talking about mama, but we also had time where people could write their feelings about how sad they were about my mom's passing, and we would pray over them. And at the end of the service, I gave every, every person a little elephant um, candle because my mom loved elephants, and I wanted them to take something to remember my mama by, because I wanted them to know that she mattered to my mom, and so I will care for them. That is what we do here. We come in and we say, Jesus matters to us, so we will care for you. You know, there are so many churches in this country that 
that are attractional churches, that are churches that really want to focus in on how can we get as many people in the room so we'll, we'll, throw, we'll have all the bells and whistles and we'll just make it so that it's an experience for you, like this awesome experience for you. And there is nothing wrong with that, but if that is the only thing a church has to offer, they are missing their kingdom value, their kingdom mission. When you and I gather together and we think about loving others because we've been loved by Christ, we move from yes to hosts. We become like this woman who ministered to Jesus himself. And in doing that, that is a practice of worship that enlivens us with the heart of Jesus, that welcoming the stranger heart of Jesus. And the last thing that I want us to look at in this passage, the last one is radical hospitality moves us from brokenness to wholeness. It moves us from brokenness to wholeness. This woman came in broken. She noticed a felt need that Jesus had. She engaged with that felt need that Jesus had. And because of that, Jesus spoke wholeness over her. So much so that Jesus says, go in peace. Now, if you've been around here any amount of time, you would have heard me or TC use the word shalom. You heard it in the video. Shalom is a big deal for us. Shalom is God's dream for the world as it should be. Shalom is God's dream of flourishing and goodness. Shalom is right, relation, right relationships between us and God and us and each other. So when we practice radical hospitality as a church, when we look for the visitors and we invite them in, when we invite them to misfit meals, when we get to know their kids, when we, when we text their teenagers when something great happens in their lives, when we volunteer the kids, when we stand up here and teach, when we bring a snack, all these things are a part of worshiping God because it's creating a space for people to connect with God and connect with each other. It's creating a space that moves us from brokenness to wholeness. So I want to ask you as I close, who in your life, or it could even be yourself, do you know feels like they're a stranger? You know, one of the things that I loved, we, we did a community survey where we asked everybody, you know, certain questions about why you love Roots and why do you attend and what are your hopes and dreams for Roots. We're in this season called Flourishing Together because we are a church plan and we're, we want to flourish together into our next chapter as a church community. And so we sent out a survey because we wanted to know what do you value in a church. And what I was so impressed with was that everybody said, this is a church that I would invite my friends to because I know that they will be loved and accepted. And so what I want to do as we close is to give us space to think about the people we would want to invite into this space and ask the Lord to give us a vision for hospitality, to invite them in to the space because we've connected with Jesus over this series. So I'm going um, to give us a second to just think, and then I'm going to pray for us a benediction. May you experience Jesus in a real way. May he meet your felt need. May he meet your spiritual need. May he speak your worth and value over you so that you can, it's undeniable, you feel it deeply in your soul. May you, from that overflow, turn that towards the person in your mind or yourself or the people that you think of and, and point that towards them and invite them into a space where they can know they are loved and seen and accepted. May you have a vision for your hospitality that is a vision connected to shalom, 
the essential it is goodness of the garden where all things were right and all things were intimate and all things were connected. And may we as a church continue to grow as a community that passionately love you.